All right. We're here. It is Wednesday night, and we're talking about predestination. And I put a, a semi-title here up on the board. Does God create evil for our good? Absolutely, He does, and it's for our good when He brings it into our lives. Does he create evil? I was at the post office today and I ran into a uh, uh, a Baptist that says he believed in predestination. He was a primitive Baptist and he sees me every once in a while at the post office. And he'll comment to me and he'll start quoting predestination verses to me. And I made the statement, I said, God creates evil. And he said the same thing that all free will people said. He said, but evil means calamity. I said, the word is raw. He wasn't hardly listening to me. I said, the word is raw. When God says, I make peace and create evil, I, the Lord, do all things raw, means bad. And he said, well, it means calamity. And I tried to explain it, but he wasn't listening. And I said, Ra is the same word for evil from one end of the Old Testament to the other. It's the same word as the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. It's the same word as evil over there in Genesis, the second chapter. And then he wasn't listening, but just his congratulate me on preaching predestination. He said, but we're not absolute predestinationists. I said, well, if anybody anybody is absolute, it's me. Because I believe everything that's going on, if you want to learn to rest, you come to the place where you believe everything that's going on is of God. Now, there's something that may confuse some of you. Uh, I've thought about explaining this before. Uh, in the 45th chapter of Isaiah, when God says, I form light and I create darkness, I make peace and create evil. Create is a good word. It's the word bara. The word create. Bara. Jim, I thought you said God didn't create evil. I've never said that. I said he did not create in vain. In vain is not the same word as evil. Evil is for our good. In vain is no reason. When you look at that same chapter, just in case some of you wanted to ask me about it, over in the 18th verse of the 45th chapter, God says, For thus saith the Lord that created the heavens, God himself formed the earth. Now, formed is not the same word as create. I've said that. Formed usually is the word uh, yatsar or ana. And both of those are more or less, they're a potter's term. It means to form or mold into something, to mold. Well, that's not the word create. If you mold something, you take your hands and you form it. When God formed Adam of the dust of the ground, 
he formed it, formed him, and that's the word Yatsar. He was a potter. When he breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, that was creation. David said God creates with his breath. Create is the word bara. Bara, and if God creates evil, that's a righteous word. When he creates evil, that's for our righteousness. Let me show you this. When he said he created, he in that 18th verse, when he created the heavens, God himself formed the earth and made it. Made is not create. Formed is not create. He hath established it. He created it not in vain. That's the same word in Genesis 1-2. And with the earth was without form. Out of form. Without form is one word in the Greek, tohu. That's the same word as in vain in this word verse right here. It means worthless. When God creates, it's not worthless. That word bara is a form of bereth, B-E-R-I-Y-T-H. Bereth, and that word bereth is the word covenant. And bara means to cut and make fat. Now we think of fat as a cellulite on our side. That's not what that's talking about. The fat to the Jew was the richest of the cattle, the richest of the crops, the richest of the wheat. It was the best. So God says, in the beginning God created, that's where he cut and made fat, and the earth was without form. I've gone through this. Without form is no purpose. The first verse is purpose. Had purpose. It's God's purpose. It's a, it's bereth. So without form, without form is not the same thing as God creating evil. Why would he say that here in this 45th chapter of, of Isaiah? It has to do with what he just got through talking about. He's talking about the overthrow of Babylon. Is that for the good of Israel for God to overthrow Babylon. Let's read a little bit before that verse, before that verse in the 45th chapter of Isaiah. Let's back up to the previous chapter. Chapter headings, like chapter 45. Chapter 45 is not in the text. We're not talking about the chapters not in the text. We're talking about C-H-A-P-T-E-R 4-5. Those, those chapter and verse is just for us. These were written in scrolls. The scrolls would 
roll up and they would seal the scroll. When they rolled it out, they rolled it out to the part they wanted to read. So, chapter 44 leads right into chapter 45 and it's concerning the same subject. Let's back up to chapter 45. Chapter 45, I mean, excuse me, chapter 44. Thus saith the Lord in verse 24, Thy Redeemer... And he that formed thee from the womb, I am the Lord. There's one Redeemer, the Bible says in Hosea 13. One Redeemer, and that's Christ. So this would be Jesus in the Old Testament. I am the Lord that maketh all things, that stretcheth forth the heavens alone, that spreadeth abroad the earth by herself. I frustrate the tokens of the liars and maketh diviners mad. I make them crazy. People that are claiming to read the stars and the flight of the birds and they actually did that when the soothsayers would do that. That turneth wise men backward. The wise men of the earth. Not many wise in this world are chosen by God and maketh their knowledge foolish. I confirm the word of his servant, and performeth the counsel of God's messengers, that saith to Jerusalem, Thou shalt be inhabited. Now, Isaiah is prophesying long before Jerusalem falls. But because he said this, some people say, well, he's giving a command to rebuild Jerusalem. No, he's not. This is before it's even fallen down. And to the cities of Judah you shall be built, and I will raise up the decayed places thereof. That saith to the deep, Be dry, I will dry up thy rivers. We see that as the Euphrates River is being dried up. Now, this is verifying what Herodotus says. Herodotus was said to be Herodotus was said to be the father of history. I've got his two volumes. He's got two volumes. The title of it is Herodotus. And you can go into his book and he will tell you exactly what the Bible is telling us here that that Cyrus dried up the Euphrates River. When you get over to when Babylon carried Israel away into captivity. I'm trying to show you how when God created evil it was for the benefit of the Jews. When he said this I make peace and create evil. I, the Lord, do all these things. We'll read down to it. Let me get over here. All right. When Israel was going to, when the Babylonians, Chaldea, Babylon, came over here and carried Israel away into captivity. They carried them away I've said this a thousand times. In 5, carried southern Judah away, 586 B.C. That was Babylon. 
Let me erase some of this up here so I can write. All right. That was Babylon. Now, Babylon has got Israel in captivity over here because all the time they were a nation. They kept going after sun and tree worship. It had many names. Sun and tree. The sun was represented by the fire, and it was called Baal in Israel. It was called Moloch in northern Jordan, or the land of Ammon, Moloch, or Molech, or Malcolm, or Malcolm. And it, it was called, uh, the sun god was called Osiris in Egypt, and Israel was going after, it was called Osiris in Egypt, and in Egypt, uh, the female deities had many female deities or tree deities. Uh, the tree deities were Venus and Aphrodite and Ceres and Sybil, and the list goes on and on. Because Israel did this, God carried them away into captivity by Babylon. And God said, I'm going to... I don't know what I'm doing there. God says, what I'm going to do it's put you over here since you went 70 times 7. You went 70 sabbatical years. They had a sabbatical year every seven years. He said, I'm going to put you in Babylon for 70 years. They were carried away in 586 B.C. And they were... And then in there was always when there was a ruling... When there was a ruling uh, beast or there was a ruling empire in the world, there was always a bubbling empire somewhere out there. And what was bubbling while Babylon was ruling was Persia. Persia is Iran. Babylon is Iraq. That was Babylonia. And Persia, I'm talking about why God said, I create evil. He's doing it for the benefit of Israel. When he creates evil, it's for our benefit. He doesn't create it for no reason, like in vain. Doesn't do that. He created evil for a reason in this context. So Babylon carried Israel away, and they're ruling Israel over here in Babylon. In Israel, only the poor remained there. You remember, we've talked about that. So most of Israel was over here in Babylon. After they had been in captivity for a while, it wasn't until Persia overthrew Babylon and how did they do it? Babylon said, we cannot be conquered. We've got these 375 feet, 80 feet walls surrounding our city. And our city is located on the Euphrates River. And we're half on one side and half on another. If you, looked, if you had a bird's eye view, it might look something like this. And this is the river running through it. 
and they had a seven-tier bridge that went over the river so people could communicate back and forth from here to here. And it had it was one of the seven wonders of the ancient world because they had the hanging gardens of Babylon. Why was that so miraculous? Because that was in the middle of a desert. And they had all kinds of aqueducts flowing out of the river to those all those plants, and it looked magnificent when you looked at it. It's like, what in the world? We're out in the middle of a desert, and the walls of Babylon were 14 miles by 14 miles, 14 on every side, and the river ran through it. And they said, our walls are around 380 feet high, and it's got the river running through it. They had tributaries running around it. And they said, we can't be conquered. We're too powerful. Now that's a picture of building a house on the sand. Well, Persia, the Persian king was Cyrus at this point. And he wants to overthrow Babylon so he could become the ruler of the world. That's the only thing they wanted to do when Hitler rose up. He wanted to be ruler of the world. When Napoleon rose up, he wanted to be ruler of the world. When Alexander the Great rose up, he wanted to rule all the world. These guys are power hungry. That's all they are, just like presidents are. All right. So they said, we can't be conquered. You can look in your McClinican strong and look at Babylon. It'll tell you, where did I get that information about how tall their walls were? Out of the McClinican strong. They said the river was like nearly as deep as the walls were high. So the river had went around it. I don't know how wide the river was. Probably sufficiently wide so nobody could get in there. So Cyrus says, I think it's time for us to conquer Babylon. And Herodotus will tell you this. I usually have it and I read it. I can read it out of Herodotus and I can read it out of the 44th and 45th chapter of Isaiah. Herodotus said, we will come over here He's in Media Persia, and he's going to come over here, bring his armies, go north of Babylon, and block off the river and put a diversionary dam there and run the river out into the Arabian Desert. And you know how much water that'll hold? All you can put in it is nothing but sand for millions of square miles out here. So he runs it out there into the desert. Cyrus comes over here, waits till the water is drained out of the river, and they have no protection in Babylon. So he gets his men, and he marches down the river to Babylon and walks in and catches Belshazzar parting with the vessels of the house of the Lord and they're all drunk and they had going down to the river they had a place for women to go down to the river and there were big two-leaved gates going down there 
and they had left these gates open because they thought nobody's going to come by the way of the river, but they drive the river up. And that's what this part tells you right here. And you have to understand this, what I just told you, to understand why this was good for Israel. Belshazzar was a profligate. He was sleaze. He was he was involved in all kinds of debauchery, the worst sins. And he was the last king. You read about him in that fifth chapter of Daniel, how that when God when Cyrus comes in and they're partying and they're all drunk. Anytime you say you can't be conquered, God knows your weak spot. He's known mine. He, I thought I could never be conquered because I had this great singing voice until he took it away from me. He actually took it away. Man, I have the hardest time singing, leading two songs up here, and my range has come way down to what it used to. I used to knock up here. And I had a super high tenor voice, and I could shake the building with it. But I can't do that anymore. He knew, knew my weakness, and he had to take that away from me. Now, they had these two leaf gates going down there. Cyrus comes over here, dams the river up. Herodotus will tell you the story, but it'll tell you the story right here. Let's read it. Thus saith to the deep, be dry, and I will dry up thy rivers. Now you see the Euphrates, which is the same river, spiritually being dried up in the book of Revelation. The Euphrates River shipped to, that was the most powerful river in all that part of the world because they shipped to everywhere all over that Middle Eastern area. It went everywhere. That was the life of that area. Now, let's read. Thus saith Cyrus, he is my shepherd. How could Cyrus, a pagan king, be a shepherd? He is my shepherd. The, here's why the reason for God creating the evil to overthrow Babylon. Thus saith of Cyrus, he is my shepherd and shall perform my pleasure. What in the world is Cyrus doing to performing the pleasure of God? Even saying to Jerusalem, Thou shalt be built, you're not even brought down yet. This is in five... Excuse me, Jerusalem is being brought down. Excuse me, I, said, I got ahead of myself. Thou shalt be built... And to the temple thy foundation shall be laid. But he didn't give the decree. This is why people try to come up and say that Cyrus gave the first decree to rebuild the city. He gave the decree to rebuild the temple. And you can see that at the very end of Second Chronicles. You can see it at the first of the book of Ezra. Let's look at Ezra. Ezra, Nehemiah. Ezra, the first chapter. Now remember, when Babylon came in to Israel, 
they burnt the temple, burnt the gates, burnt the city, pulled down all the stones of the temple, and plowed up the plowed it up, plowed up the city, and sowed it with salt so nothing would grow there. Now, at the first chapter of Ezra, you also find it at the last verse of Second Chronicles. You can look at that. That's the that's the page before Ezra. You can look at that. 23rd verse of the 36th chapter of 2nd Chronicles Thus saith Cyrus king of Persia all the kings of the earth hath the Lord God of heaven given me and he hath charged me to build him a house in Jerusalem so the first decree to rebuild the temple the house of God was the temple which in Judah who is there among you of all the people, the Lord his God shall be with him and let him go up. That is about Cyrus overthrowing. We'll look back at verse 22. Well, I need to back up a little further than that. He, I'll read in verse 18. All the vessels of the house of God, great and small, and the treasures of the house of the Lord and the treasures of the king, and of his princes, all these brought he to Babylon. This is where the Babylonian king of the Chaldees, from verse 17, is overthrowing Jerusalem. And they burnt the house of God and break down the wall of Jerusalem and burnt all the palaces thereof with fire and destroyed all the goodly vessels thereof. And them that had escaped from the sword carried he away to Babylon where they were service to him and his sons until the reign of the kingdom of Persia in 539 B.C. 586, Babylon overthrew Israel. And then you're jumping from 586 to 539 from one verse to the next verse. When you go from to the king of Persia, in that 20th verse, you're jumping... You're jumping from 586 to 539, and you get to Persia. To fulfill the word of the Lord by the mouth of Jeremiah until the land had enjoyed her Sabbaths, for as long as she lay desolate, she kept Sabbath to fulfill threescore and ten years, or seventy years, because she had seventy sabbatical years, where she never, they would not abide by God's law. You got to leave the land alone and let it restore its nutrients every seven years. Now, in the first year of Cyrus, king of Persia, that would be in 539 B.C. Babylon overthrew him in 586. That the word of the Lord spoken by the mouth of Jeremiah might be accomplished. The Lord stirred up the spirit of Cyrus, king of Persia, that he made a proclamation throughout all his kingdom and put it in writing to rebuild the temple in that last verse. And he says the same thing. Flip the page and you go to Ezra. Now in the first year of Cyrus, king of Persia, that the word of the Lord by the mouth of Jeremiah might be fulfilled, the Lord stirred up the spirit of Cyrus, king of Persia, and he made a proclamation throughout all the kingdom, and he put it in writing. Now, this is why God created evil. He wants to get Babylon off the throne 
so he can have these Persian kings give decrees to rebuild the temple and the city. And only the Persian kings do that. So when God said, I create evil, he did that to get Persia to go over and slaughter the Babylonians and move them off the throne because you get four decrees from Persian kings. You don't get any from Babylonian kings. That's why he created the evil. And boy, they went in there and butchered and slaughtered the Babylonians. Thus saith Cyrus, he made a proclamation throughout all his kingdom and put it in writing. Boy, there's a lot to say about that. Once the Persians put anything in writing, that was a contract that lasted as long as their empire lasted. Even the king himself could not change that. Thus saith Cyrus, king of Persia, the Lord God of heaven hath given me all the kingdoms of the earth, and he hath charged me to build him an house at Jerusalem, which is in Judah. He charged me to rebuild the temple that Nebuchadnezzar had brought down. Why? The reason he's... Let's go back to Isaiah 45. Verse 1. This doesn't start a new thought. It continues the thought from chapter 44. Thus saith the Lord to his anointed to Cyrus, king of Persia. He's overthrown Babylon, whose right hand I had holden to subdue nations before him, and I will loose the loins of kings to open before him the two-leaved gates. Herodotus will tell you about those two-leaved gates that would walk down to the river so the women could go down there and wash their clothes or get water or whatever they wanted to do. And the gates shall not be shut. They were left open while they were parting drunk with the vessels of the house of God. Read that, Daniel, the fifth chapter. You can see the fall of Babylon in the 50th and 51st chapter of Jeremiah. I will go before thee and make the crooked places straight. I will break in pieces the gates of brass go down to the city. To break in pieces meant to open up and cut in asunder the bars of iron. I will give thee the treasures of darkness and hidden riches of secret places, that thou mayest know that I, the Lord, which call thee from thy name, am the God of Israel, for Jacob my servant's sake. I'm doing all this to Babylon. Jacob's name was changed to Israel. This is for the sake of Israel to overthrow the Babylonian king. For Jacob, my servant's sake, and Israel, mine elect. It's for their good and their benefit. I have even called thee by thy name. I have surnamed thee, though thou hast not known me. I am the Lord. There is none else. There is no God beside me. I girded thee, though thou hast not known me. 
He's talking about Cyrus. He called Cyrus his shepherd and his anointed. He called him his anointed in verse 1. Thus saith the Lord to his anointed to Cyrus. And he was a heathen king. How could he be anointed? Because he's going to make the first decree for Israel's good to bring them back from over in Babylon and have them go over here and rebuild the the temple of God. That's why he brought evil. That's why he said, I make peace and create evil. Let's read it. That they may know that from the rising of the sun from the west, there is none beside me. I am the Lord. There is none else. I form light and create darkness. I have made the peace and created evil against Babylon. And it was for Israel's good, wasn't it? I, the Lord, do all these things. I make peace and create evil has to do with Persia coming in and overthrowing Babylon. Why? Because the Persian kings, he said Cyrus was his anointed, and Cyrus is giving the first decree in Second Chronicles 36, and Ezra, the first chapter, Cyrus was God's anointed in that he was giving the decree for Israel to go back home 650 miles or so to rebuild the temple. Was that for Israel's good? I guess it was. And then another decree is going to be given. This was by Cyrus. He was a Persian king. That was for Israel's good that God destroyed Babylon because only the Persian kings gave the four decrees. The next king to give a decree was Darius. The first decree was given in Ezra, the first chapter. The second decree was to enforce the first decree. That was in Ezra, the sixth chapter. And that was given by Darius, a king of Persia. To reinforce the first decree, not going to go into the whole story, uh, once a decree was given, it was unalterable, according to Daniel, the sixth chapter. You could not alter the decree, and the king himself couldn't change it once he gave it in, in among the Persians. So in Ezra, the sixth chapter, the second decree is given. And the third decree was given by Artaxerxes. He was a Persian king. Artaxerxes gave the next decree in Ezra, the seventh chapter. Was this for Israel's good? Well, yeah. All the decrees were. When he says, I make peace... This applies to our life. When God sends evil into our lives, it's ultimately for our good. He works all things after the counsel of his own will. These are not some guesses that we're doing. It's scripturally, mathematically true. And he gave the decree to refurnish everything, to refurbish, let me put it, and send extra send he sent priests over 
this was this was something that the people of Israel requested. He sent extra priests. He sent supplies for the temple in that third decree. Supplies. And they finished the temple in 516 B.C., exactly 70 years since they were carried away in 586 B.C. Can you see that? And then there was a fourth decree. That was given in Nehemiah the second chapter. Nehemiah the second chapter by the same king that gave the third decree Artaxerxes gave to Nehemiah in 444 B.C. letters that he signed and since all a king had to do was sign letters and no other decree could have been given before this because you couldn't give a decree if the law had already been made. And Nehemiah went he was very sad in the presence. He had heard by his brothers, his real brothers in the first chapter of Nehemiah, that the house of God was burnt to the ground, that, that Jerusalem was burnt to the ground. And he did. It, now you say, how in the world in 444 could he have just learned that when, the, when Israel had been burnt in 586 B.C.? 140 plus years before it had been burned. But he was 650, 700 miles away and he was a cupbearer to Artaxerxes. A cupbearer, they called it a butler sometimes, but it wasn't a guy that answered the door. He was a cupbearer and he would take the drink to the king. You had to be real close to a king to be a cupbearer. A cupbearer was a taster. And he would take the... If they brought wine to the king or grape juice, whatever he's going to drink, the cupbearer would taste it first. There was always somebody trying to overthrow the king. If the cupbearer fell down sick or died, the king wouldn't drink the, wouldn't drink the drink. Well, that's what Nehemiah was. And usually... The cupbearer had to be a eunuch. He was castrated. Why is that? Because they did not want a cupbearer having children that would that could come and overthrow the king. So that way, a eunuch would only wouldn't have no kids. He'd have no allegiance except to the king. And Nehemiah was not it was against Persian law to be set, found sad in the presence of a king you could die for that in the second chapter of Nehemiah the Bible says Nehemiah was very sad and he couldn't hide it from Artaxerxes but evidently Artaxerxes loved Nehemiah he it, the Bible shows that he did because he asked Nehemiah, what's wrong? He could have died for being sad in the presence if the king hadn't loved him like he did. And Nehemiah said, my city is burnt to the ground. 
could you write letters and and once they signed a letter people have argued about when the first and second and third decree were once they made a decree you couldn't make it again that's like we've got a law out here that says you can only drive 45 miles an hour along certain areas you can't make another law to say well we passed a law to drive 45 miles an hour along that road well there's already a sign out there you can't make it a second time you couldn't make that's why when he when the second decree was written the second decree by Darius was to reinforce the first decree because they came up and said there were enemies of Israel Israel the first decree was given in 538 B.C. and Israel had some enemies led by a man named Tatanai and he was a governor over that Transjordan region. Transjordan means across the Jordan River in Israel and he was a governor over there but he wasn't a Jew and he was trying to say that Darius over here the king would be very it would be unpleasant he, he was saying you, you are a, a rude city you have rebelled against God against the king well they he scared the people and they quit building in 536 BC when you get to when you get to 520 BC two men rise up they they stop for 16 years building the temple 16 years from 536 to 520 two men rise up and God appoints them particularly you'll know what their job is for when you start reading reading about them you can read about them in Ezra the fifth chapter they come on the scene Ezra 5 these two men were Haggai and Zechariah Haggai comes up first and prophesies for three months and then after he's through prophesying his job and Zechariah's job was tell the people to quit laying around on their behinds and get back busy building this temple. Well, they get back to building it. They had this this problem that they they were afraid to build because of this guy Tatnai. Tatnai had to go before when they decided to go before Darius the people were complaining we got to go before Darius and ask him to reinforce the first decree this decree had been given it could not be given again so the second decree was to reinforce the first decree but they had to go find that decree they looked everywhere they looked in the summer house when Darius was king they look into the summer house that was a vacationing house summer house of Cyrus we're still talking about why God said he created evil 
He created evil so he could overthrow these Babylonian kings, get these kings in here. It looks like Darius or Cyrus, Darius and Artaxerxes might have been believers. I don't know. They sure does look like it. Because Artaxerxes loved Nehemiah, uh, Darius, loved these people, and Cyrus loved the Israel, and he was called God's anointed. So the reason God created evil was to get the Babylonians off the throne so it could get these guys on the throne, touch their hearts when the Bible says. In fact, let me show you this. I didn't even mean to go into all of this. Over here in Zechariah. Zechariah is prophesying around 520 B.C. to 5, nearly all the way to 516. Look here in Zechariah. This is why, all of this is why the Bible says, I make peace and create evil. God created the overthrow of Babylon for Israel's good. And the overthrow of Babylon was a bloody siege. It was really bad. Look here in Zechariah, the fourth chapter. At this point, I can't even explain why the Bible says I create evil without explaining Babylon's situation and Persia's situation. you got to get the Babylonians off the throne. The first king was Nebuchadnezzar. Not the first king of Babylon, but the first biblical king of Babylon was Nebuchadnezzar, and God converted him. But the ones after him were evil people, especially, specifically Belshazzar, the last king that was overthrown in this Cyrus siege. Now, this is Zechariah telling the people, get back busy. And he's trying to tell the people how that God is going to overthrow uh, overthrow not overthrow, excuse me, how that God is going to get Israel back over to their homeland. He tells us in this fourth chapter. Read here in verse 5. Then he answered and spake unto me, saying, This is the word of the Lord unto Zerubbabel. Zerubbabel sounds like a funny name. He is in the lineage of Christ. Is in the lineage of Jesus in Matthew, the first chapter. He would have been king of Israel if they had have allowed them at this point to have kings. But since they were being ruled by Persia and they were, had been considered a rebellious people, they were allowed to have a governor. And the governor was Zerubbabel. They had a prophet there, a high priest named Joshua. Not the Joshua that came across the river uh, led the children of Israel over into 
Israel. Not that Joshua, but another. This is the priest and the king. Priest and king. You can look at Matthew, the first chapter, and you'll see Zerubbabel in the lineage of the kings, and it takes you all the way down to Jesus. Now, this is what he says, how Israel is going to move back into this is how they're going to get out of Babylon, ruled by these Persian kings, get back to Israel. God touches the hearts of those kings. It won't be by a mighty army that they go back. Then he answered and spake unto me, saying, This is the word of the Lord unto Zerubbabel, saying, Not by might, you won't go back by might, nor by power, but by my spirit, saith the Lord. The spirit of the Lord will touch Cyrus's heart. The spirit of the Lord will touch Darius's heart. The spirit of the Lord will touch Artaxerxes' heart. These are kings of Persia. They got to be moved into power and get this these kings off the throne in Babylon. That's what he's talking about. Let's go back over there. Well, let me read the next verse there. Who art thou, O great mountain? Great mountain. Babylon is called a proud mountain in that 51st chapter of Jeremiah. God says, you're a proud mountain. I'm going to make you a burnt mountain. And we see Babylon burning over there in Revelation the 18th chapter. Babylon is leveled. Thou shalt become a plain. Gosh, that is, that is, you won't even understand that unless you understand the word humble. Humble. T-A-P-E-I-N-O-O. Tapanua means to level mountains and hills to make them a plain that's what it means so God has to level Babylon and get the Persian kings over there so they give the decrees for Israel to rebuild their temple in the first, second, third degree and to rebuild their city but most of them stay over in Babylon and don't go home. So God's going to measure out those 70 weeks over a long period of time. I'm not going to go into that right now. Now maybe you can understand, is this plain enough? Let's go back over here to the 45th chapter of and read that one more time. He says, Cyrus is his anointed. He's the one that's going to give the first decree in the first verse. And then he says down here, he says, I'm the Lord, there's none else. In verse 6, I form the light and create darkness. I make peace and create evil. I, the Lord, do all these things. And it's for Israel's benefit that he dries up the river or that Cyrus dries up the river. And that's what this whole thing is about. God creates evil all through the Bible. 
when people try to say, well, that means calamity. That's the same word evil every time you find it in the Old Testament. It's the word raw. It means bad. He creates bad. Let me show you the fall of Babylon. When God says, I'm going to scatter you all over the earth if you keep going after these sun and tree gods, when God says, I will scatter you, I will do it, then he calls in Babylon to carry him away. Then he causes, causes the Persian kings to still rule over them, but give these decrees for them to go back, and they don't go back. And then he calls the Greeks to take over, and that's the beast, and that's Alexander the Great, and they're under this rule until May 14, 1948. So when you, he says, I make peace and create evil, it's for their good. And all the evil that he brings on them, all the evil that he brings on our lives is for our good. When he says all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose. When he says in everything give thanks for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. That's for your good. You know, you talk to a primitive Baptist or talk to, you talk to uh, reformers. I'm not a reformer. I preach predestination, not because John Calvin taught it. I didn't even study Calvin to learn predestination. I studied the Bible. For whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his Son. We're predestined so we'll conform to Christ's likeness. That's what was happening to Israel here. He was going to conform them. When they didn't conform, he was the cause of that. Why did Israel fall? So that salvation would come to the Gentiles. All the evil they did and all of their disbelief, it was so you and I as Gentiles could be believers. I wrote a paper. Does God create evil? I wrote another paper. I drew up a paper. Everything that is happening is the will of God. Everything. There is no evil out there that the devil's doing that God's not in control of it. When you think you're having a hard time for no reason, you're not. It's for God's reason. Just like the Jews. If without the Persians overthrowing the king and slaughtering them. Look over here in Isaiah, the 13th chapter. This gives you a view and a vision. Gives you a view of the Chaldeans overthrowing Babylon. This the 13th chapter of Isaiah is a picture of what happened when Cyrus marched down that river and they were slaughtering these people. A lot of the soldiers in the Babylonian army were not Christians. Most of them weren't. So they slaughter people, cut, cut them up, beat them down, 
actually raped the women, killed the children, and God said, I did that. I've got on the front end of this this paper I did, Does God Create Evil? And i got several verses on, Does God Create Evil? I Will Not Pity is the subtitle. And he says all through the Old Testament, he says in Jeremiah 2 and 1 and 2, God says he will cover Jerusalem in a cloud of anger and cast down the beauty of Israel in his anger. He had no pity when he caused the Babylonian chariots to run through Jerusalem as slaughter by the sword. The people of Judah, the young, the old, will lie dead in the streets. And God said, I will have no pity. You had no pity for my name. Then he says in Lamentations 3.43, Jeremiah says, Jeremiah wrote Lamentations. Lamentations is one of the saddest books in the Bible. It is Jeremiah lamenting over what Nebuchadnezzar had done slaughtering Israel. He said, God, Jeremiah says, God, you have covered us with anger. You've persecuted us and killed us in horrible ways, and you have not pitied. Deuteronomy 7:16. God commands believers to have no pity on idol worshipers. Psalms 103:13. God says he has he he only has pity for those that fear him and that worship him. In Deuteronomy 13:6-8, God says to Moses, "If a man trusts you, thrust you out of the way." The word way is the word direct. It's the same word, D-E-R-E-K. It's the same word as hodos in the New Testament. That's the narrow way, the tribulation way. And he says in Deuteronomy 13, if a man convinced you to get out of the tribulation way, there's one way, it's narrow, it's full of tribulation. And he said, if a man comes and thrusts you out of the way, even if he is your brother, that you have no pity on him. If he tries to lead you after other gods of false doctrine, you are to kill him. God is getting his eye for an eye in America. When men go after false doctrine, God's judgments are sword, famine, pestilence, and beast. Pestilence and famine are upon the world, and God has brought out the sword in this nation, and he is causing a nation to turn on one another. All the killings in America are certainly the judgment on a rebellious nation, and God will have no pity on even the innocent. God worked this way in Israel, and now he's working this way in America. The worst is yet to come. Deuteronomy 19.13 Premeditated murder shall receive no pity, but he shall die, and a false witness shall receive life for eye life, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, hand for hand, foot for foot. God is pouring out his anger and judgments on America. He will not pity. Proverbs 19 and 17 says, We are to pity the poor and the downtrodden, and that's all. 
Now look at the 13th chapter of Isaiah. This is when God says, I create this evil for Israel's good so those decrees can be made. Verse 15, 13th chapter of Isaiah. Everyone that is found shall be thrust through with a spear, with a sword, with a knife of some kind. And everyone that is joined unto them, talking about the Chaldeans and the Babylonians, shall fall by the sword. Their children shall be dashed to pieces before their very eyes. Their houses shall be spoiled and their women, their wives, ravished. Word ravished is the word shagal. It means raped. God says, I'm going to cause all this to happen. This is the evil that he was talking about at the overthrow of Babylon, Shogal. This is the Persians coming in here. These are not nice people going to come in and say, they're there, we're here to take over. No, it's a slaughter. The women ravished. Behold, I will stir up the Medes against them. The Medes and the Persians were a dual empire. Darius was actually a Mede king. The Medes were in the upper section of Media of Persia. This is Persia down here, and Media is up here. These are believed that these were the Kurds of the ancient world. The Kurds came over from Europe and settled in northern Persia. When you hear about the Kurds, I was downtown, down at the uh, uh, down at the market downtown, and I there was a fellow that, well, a family that had those gyro sandwiches, and they were Kurds. And I asked him, I said, the Kurds have been blamed for a lot of things over there. I said, do the Kurds have a nation? He said, yes. I said, do they have a boundary? He said, no. They just lived in the northern part of Iran. They just lived up there. It's believed that they were the surviving Medes. They don't have a capital city. They just live up there as a culture and as a people. Anyway, let's keep reading. I will stir up the Medes against them which shall not regard silver. You can't buy your way out of this Babylon. And as for gold, we're talking about, let me remind you, why God said I create evil. He created the evil against Babylon so he could raise up the Persians so they could make the decrees and send Israel back home. It was for their good. Do you all see that? It's really not even hard to understand. Nor delight in it. Their bows also shall dash the young man to pieces, and they shall have no pity on the fruit of the womb. They'll rip the babies out of their mother's bellies. Their eyes shall not spare children. This is what the Persians did by the will of God. Babylon, the glory of kingdoms, the beauty of the Chaldees, excellency, excellency shall be as when God overthrew 
Sodom and Gomorrah. This is the destruction of Babylon. It shall never be inhabited again. Now that's spoken of several times in the Bible. Babylon would never be inhabited. That insane maniac, Saddam Hussein, said at one time, I'm going to rebuild Babylon the Euphrates River. Well, God said, you're not. God had him killed. Now, you watch out what you say. If God's already said, it's not going to happen, it's not going to happen. It shall never be inhabited, neither shall it be dwelt in from generation to generation. Neither shall the Arabian pitch tent there, neither shall the shepherds make their fold there. But wild beasts of the desert shall lie there, and their houses shall be full of doleful creatures, and owls shall dwell there, and satyrs shall dance there. They said, they used to say that satyrs were the imagination of men, and it wasn't, satyrs weren't real creatures, but they found skeletons over there where these satyrs were supposed to be little imps that run around with a with a little flute and play these pan flutes and they were little evil imps but that was their imagination from these animals that had hooved feet that stood upon their hind legs that's what he's saying look over here in Jeremiah 50 you see the destruction of I'm, I'm giving you the reason the Bible says I create evil God created all this evil to bring Israel home he's going to bring us home by the evil he brings to our lives look here in Jeremiah when you see Isaiah 13 Jeremiah 51 50 and 51 and Daniel the 5th chapter where Belshazzar is brought down they're all the same story and same picture you see Belshazzar this is really strange because the fifth chapter of Daniel talks about Belshazzar and Belshazzar was the last king of Babylon his father was Nabonidus Nabonidus excuse me Nabonidus he was actually the king. But he was in hiding. Nabonidus was the king, and his son was Belshazzar, but he was co regent. And when he was, Nabonidus was in hiding because he was trying to bring some new gods into uh, Babylon that the priest of that the priest of Babylon didn't want so he was hiding and while he was hiding his son Nebuchadnezzar excuse me Belshazzar was the king and Belshazzar was very just sleazy kind of guy and he was parting with the vessels of the house of the Lord so you can read the very meaning of I make peace and create evil you'll find it in Daniel Five, Isaiah 13 
and Jeremiah 50 and 51. That's the downfall of Babylon. It's all a picture of the same story when you read those chapters. You understand that? It's just different men giving you the view, their view. It's kind of like reading uh, Matthew 5, uh, excuse me, Mark 5, Matthew 8, and Luke 8, which are all about the demoniac. I meant to go through that tonight to show you if you're going to study one chapter, you really want to know, well, you got to put Isaiah 44 and 45 in that. Isaiah 44 and 45, the the end of those chapters, they're all about the fall of Babylon. That makes it easier for you to study and read, doesn't it? Daniel 5, Isaiah 13, Jeremiah 50, 51, Isaiah 44 and 45. That's the, the fall of Babylon. That's the Old Testament fall of Babylon. The New Testament fall of Babylon is found in Revelation, the 18th chapter, how she comes down. And the river is dried up in Revelation. It'll show you the river. But the river is a spiritual river of money and things and stuff. Now, look here in Jeremiah I flipped around here. 15. Jeremiah, the 51st chapter. 50, or the 50th chapter, verse 39. I meant to give you just this verse and a real quick uh, understanding of the four decrees and move on to something else but I just got in this I couldn't get out of it 5039 when he says there in Isaiah 13 and 20 it'll never be inhabited again 5039 says therefore the wild beast of the desert with the wild beast of the islands shall dwell there in Babylon and the owls shall dwell there and there shall be no more inhabited forever it's like two witnesses Nobody will ever build up Babylon again, God says. And when Saddam Hussein said he's going to build Babylon, he he gave his own obituary there. God says, no, you're not. I'll kill you. Now, in fact, when you look at chapter 51, thus saith the Lord, all of this is about I create evil. It's all about... Babylon being dethroned and putting Persia in the throne so his three their three kings could give the four decrees to send Israel back home and be a nation again. But he said, if you don't go back home, I'll measure out to 70 weeks or your 77 separately. And then he says here in verse chapter 51, verse 1, Thus saith the Lord, Behold, I will raise up against Babylon and against them that dwell in the midst of them that rise up against me a destroying wind. God is calling Cyrus a destroying wind. God says he raised up against Israel an east wind, which was Babylon. They came from the east. 
And I will send unto Babylon fanners. What in the world is that talking about? They had a threshing floor. When they had a threshing floor, they would, the way they would purify the wheat, they had what they called a threshing floor. Anytime you see God's going to thresh something, it was a, it was like a little, little mound. And it was, when you look down in the top of it, it was round, and they had a fan. That And it, this is what John the Baptist preached in that third chapter of, let me just look at that real quick, third chapter of Matthew. He preached that, and he said, this is what Jesus is going to do. This is the way they separated the wheat from the tares. And at the end of time, God's going to separate the wheat from the tares. In Matthew, the third chapter, anytime you see a fan, they would take a pitchfork or a fan-like thing. They would throw the wheat up in the air like this throw it up and when the wind was blowing it would blow the chaff away and the wheat buds would fall down into the floor and they were separating the wheat from the tares and John the Baptist says that about Jesus in that third chapter and he connects it with baptism when he says, verse 11, I indeed baptize you with water unto repentance, but he that cometh after me is mightier than I, whose shoes I am not worthy to bear. He shall baptize you with the Holy Ghost and fire, whose fan is in his hand, and he will thoroughly purge the floor of the, of the threshing floor. That's what David went to. I guess I need to explain more of this along the way. And gather his sweet into the garner. The garner was the storehouse. So the buds would fall down in here and the wind would blow the tares away because they were light and they had no they weren't solid and the the wheat would fall down in here. That's what David when he wanted the threshing floor of Aronah in that last chapter of Second Samuel, when David sinned against God and he numbered Israel, being proud, and David said, "I've got an after God kills God, brought evil upon Israel and kids killed seventy thousand people in Israel because of David's sin." So David goes to a man named Aronah. He said, I want your threshing floor. He wanted this place where they threshed so he could offer a sacrifice from that. And Arano said, you can have it for free. And David said, I will not offer sacrifice unto God of that which costs me nothing. 
You can't just come to church and never contribute to the ministry. You're not offering sacrifice to God if it don't cost you. It has to cost. I'll talk about that Sunday. So, and gather his sweet into the garner. You probably don't even have any idea what that means. Unless you didn't know something about the threshing floor. But he will burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. It will be blown away by the winds that come along while the buds fall into the threshing floor. Now let's go back over here to the 51st chapter. How much time do I have, Mike? 17. I didn't mean to go into all of this. This is the story of why he said, I make peace and create evil. I don't know how you can explain this to anybody. Just say, hey, that has to do with the four decrees that Persia gave. And they say, what are you talking about? (laughs) You can't explain it unless people want to hear about it. He says in verse 2 of chapter 51 of Jeremiah, I will send unto Babylon fanners that shall fan her and shall empty her land for in a day of trouble they shall be against her round about we're going to get rid of everything in Babylon that's worth nothing against him that bendeth let the archer bend his bow and against him that lifteth himself up and his brigadine and spare not ye not her young men destroy ye utterly all of her host all of her armies kill them all that's the evil you mean this instruction of God and when he says I create evil he didn't mean evil he just means calamity is it evil or is it calamity for men to hijack an airliner and crash it into the World Trade Center and kill 2,900 people and everybody on the airplane and they commit murder and they commit sin and they do the will of God don't they it's not like in eternity God's going to say well you did that evil and I didn't want you to do that <laughs> you got by with murder you got by with something but I didn't want you to do Satan <laughs> Satan's getting by with nothing it was God that killed the sons and the daughters of Job Job said so he said the Lord giveth he didn't say and Satan took away did he The Lord giveth and the Lord taketh away. Blessed be the name, the authority, the Shem, the authority of God. And people, and I I heard a goofy preacher say on radio that, but Job was lying about God. The Bible itself says in the last verse of the first chapter, after Job says, the Lord giveth, the Lord taketh away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. The next verse, the last verse, is the Bible talking. In all this, Job sinned not with his lips, nor charged God foolishly. The Bible itself says Job's telling the truth. I killed his sons and daughters. I took all of his camels and all of his sheep and asses away. I caused them to be carried away. I did that. People think that if they admit that God creates evil, that makes God a sinner or God unrighteous. God can kill everybody he wants to kill and put them all in hell, and he's still righteous. That's what you got to come to. Learning to believe the Bible 
makes us believe things we don't know that we really want to believe as human beings. I believe God, and I love this chapter, this 51st chapter. He says in verse 24, I render unto Babylon to all the inhabitants of Chaldea, which is the Babylonian area. Chaldea is Babylon. This is the city of Babylon. Babylonia is the entire empire of Babylon. And he says in verse 24, I will render unto Babylon to all the inhabitants of Chaldea all their evil that they have done in Zion. And in your sight saith the Lord, Behold, I am against the old destroying mountain, a mountain's a capital city of an empire. That's you look in McClinic and Strong, it'll tell you under Mount, a capital city, one that rules. That's why when you say to this mountain, Peter and John, Peter particularly was arguing with Jesus about killing a fig tree, and Jesus said, "If you'll say to this mountain, this mountain of self, be thou removed, be thou cast in the sea, since it was against Jewish law to kill a." fruit tree unless it was five years old or older not bearing fruit and Jesus knew how old the fig tree was that's just a summary of that 11th chapter and verse 22 and 23 but I'm against the old destroying mountain saith the Lord which destroys all the earth when you read he said I'm going to make you a burnt mountain in verse 25 all of chapter 25 all of chapter 51 all of these chapters, Jeremiah 50, 51, Isaiah 13, Daniel 5, all of these chapters, Isaiah 13, it's all about I make peace and create evil. I, the Lord, do all these things. It was about Persia overthrowing Babylon and making it a bloody place. And he said, you filled up your city with all these dead bodies and that's because you turned against me and my power came against you I've got does everybody have this paper that I did on does God create evil that's a great paper it's got all these verses out of the Old Testament how God will not pity Israel for their for their going after other gods he said I'll destroy you he said you had no pity for me I'll have none for you I'll kill your children I'll rip your bellies open and kill your pregnancy that word raw bad evil evil men opposite of good calamity that's the common word for evil from one end of the Old Testament to the other. It's not, I create evil, that just means calamity. Well, it is calamity to, you think it's calamity to get up on top of a building out in Las Vegas and shoot 52 people and kill them from the, is that calamity? All this shooting that's going on, is that calamity? Is it calamity for ICs to blow up uh, all these soldiers and in Afghanistan or in Iran or wherever we're fighting over there is that calamity I guess it is in 1st Samuel 16 14 through 16 and verse 24 four, four times 
Four times the Bible says an evil spirit from the Lord, from the Lord entered Saul. It really amazes me. God will cause adultery and sexual immorality. That is that evil? Yeah. Nathan says to David in Second Samuel twelve eleven. Nathan says to David, he's the prophet. He says, because you committed murder and you killed Uriah the Hittite, you had him put in the heat of battle, you had the soldiers withdraw from him so you could have his wife, Bathsheba, and you'd already committed adultery with her and got her pregnant, David the psalmist. Nathan says to David, I will raise up evil against thee out of thine own house. That's Nathan speaking for God. I will take thy wives and give them to thy neighbor. In 2 Samuel 16, 21, 22. Don't say, well, if I go out here and commit sexual immorality, God's causing me to do it. Yeah, and he's going to cause you to do that and beat you up bad. Boy, he beat David real bad for his sexual immorality and for his murder. David committed. I've had people come here and say, "Well, I just too. I, I'm not good enough to come here." Well, have you ever got one of your best friend's wife pregnant and then had him killed, had her husband killed? David did that. The psalmist called Paul was a mass murderer. Paul made havoc of the church. Phonos means murder the church. Took people into Jerusalem and had him killed. God calls Absalom to commit adultery with David's wives. Absalom was his son. Ever, with his wives in the sight of Israel. God tells Israel, I will cause you to eat your children. Says that in Deuteronomy twenty eight forty nine. Is cannibalism, is that sin? Their babies would die and God says, you'll be so hungry in the siege. A siege is where you're surrounded by armies and you can't get any food in there and the armies won't come in and kill you. They'll sit outside, they'll eat and sleep at night and watch you starve to death and you'll start killing your children because you're so hungry. You'll start eating your children. The children will die of starvation and then you'll eat them. You say, I wouldn't do that. Are you sure you wouldn't do that? Uh, has any of you ever gone four weeks without food? The Donner Party in Utah, they got involved in a blizzard in the 1800s and they started eating one another. The There was a team that was in a plane crash, a soccer team down in the Andes in South America, and the bodies were freezing, and they said, if we're going to live, we've got to eat these bodies. People say, I wouldn't do that. You don't know what you do if you go four to six weeks without food, do you? Well, they're dead anyway, and they keep us alive. God says, I'll call you to eat your children. Lamentations 2.20, women shall eat their children. 
when I put you in the siege? I had one lady used to come here. She said, I never heard of Israel eating their children. Well, they did. And not only did they eat them in Jeremiah 19 and 9, God says, I will cause you to eat the flesh of your sons and the flesh of your daughters and the flesh of their friend in the siege. I'll cause you to do that. Is that evil? Yeah. He he says, I'll cause cannibalism. God says, I will cause Israel to involve themselves in cannibalism. People say that God will not cause men to sin and kill innocent. God says, I will not only cause my people to have forsaken me to kill their innocent, I will cause them to eat their young and their innocent. Is America killing their innocents? They're killing them with hypocrisy, if nothing else. They're killing them because they want to revert to drugs or anything else or into violence because they can't live with what they see, the hypocritical nature of their mother and father. Has America forgotten God? Will God cause David Berkowitz to kill mercilessly without pity? Will God cause a mother to drown her five children mercilessly in a bathtub in Texas? Second Kings six thirty three, when these two women went to King Jehoram and they said, one said, "We ate my baby yesterday, and this woman won't give us her baby for us to eat today." And they were both the babies were both dead. First Kings seventeen twenty, Elijah said, "God brought evil upon the widow by killing her son." Elijah says, God kills children. People, they don't want to believe the Bible, do they? They just don't believe the Bible. They don't want to believe God would do that. Well, God wouldn't do that. He's a loving God. Well, he only loves his family. He'll do anything to anybody. But it doesn't matter what he does to our body. It matters to what he does to the soul and body in hell. 1 Kings 21, 21, Elijah the prophet of God speaks for God. Behold, I will bring evil upon thee concerning Ahab's wickedness. Then he prophesies the death of all Ahab's innocent children, sons. Do I have any time? 1 Kings 21, 29, because Ahab humbled himself, God said, I will not bring the evil in his days, but I will bring the evil in his son's days. I bring the evil. God will make men lie. First Kings twenty two twenty three. Behold, the Lord hath put a lying spirit in the mouth of all these thy prophets. For in Second Kings twenty one twelve. Thus saith the Lord, I am bringing such evil on Jerusalem. Whosoever heareth of it, both his ears shall tingle. I will wipe Jerusalem, clean as a man wipeth a dish, wiping it, turning it upside down. God said that. People don't like, they like God, some of them like God predestinating his people, but they don't like the sovereignty of God when it comes to evil. And he does it for our good.
to turn us around just like he did Israel. 2 Kings 22, 16 and 20. Thus saith the Lord, I will bring evil upon this place. God tells Josiah, you will not see all the evil that I will bring. I will bring this evil after you are gone. God kills innocent men. 2 Samuel 24, 16. When God gave David a choice of the evil that he would bring on David because he had numbered Israel, seven years of famine, flee three months before your enemies, or three days pestilence. David chose the three days, and God killed 70,000 innocent men who had done nothing to deserve to die. When the angel stretched out his hand over Jerusalem to destroy it, the Lord turned from the evil he was doing and said, It's enough. I've killed enough people. People don't know who God is. They just don't know who he is. They think they have power. Huh? They think they're in control. Well, they think he's a cross between Santa Claus and and the Pope or something. Superman. And Superman, yeah. Cross between Santa Claus and Superman. <laughs> I don't understand the world that claims to believe God and the Bible. And every time you say, God said I create evil. Well, it means calamity. It's because I, they think they have all the power that they can do everything. That's what they think. Don't be surprised at what God does in your life. It's His will. It's to get your attention has he done anything to you to get your attention yet? I'll tell you what happens. You keep on living till you get old and you, and you actually give up. You surrender. You, one day you find yourself putting your hands in the air and you say, I surrender, God. I'm going to be a little boy again. I, I give up. I fought till I couldn't fight anymore. When I say I can't fight nobody, I mean that. You people don't want to fight me out there. Go go fishing or something just get out of my life I have so many people that want to fight most of you guys are probably 28, 30, 35 I wanted to fight them but I ain't going to fight you let's pray Father thank you for truth God, help us to realize every bad thing is for our good. Every evil thing is for us. Thank you for truth. This is the only thing that gets us through, Lord. I pray that you'll give us strength to bear up under everything that you send. Fight our battles. We don't feel like fighting no more. It's a waste of time. Doesn't change anybody. Thank you for truth. We'll give you praise for everything in Christ's name. Amen. I hope you understand a little bit about evil now. Quit complaining. Yeah, we got it easy compared to the Babylonians. Uh, we got it easy compared with the Babylonians. Yeah, you got a lot of very easy compared to them. Babylonians had a tough time.
What you doing there, Sheldon? Sheldon? You gonna come to some more fights? Huh? That's a good fight to isn't that, wasn't it? I'm glad that Milsic won. They have to have a third fight. They wouldn't have had a third fight if Cormier had won. They'd say it's over. So the third fight will tell the tale. Not the second fight. That never does. Well, that's something. Are you are you learning why the evil has come upon your life? It's all for good. It's all for good. It's for good, isn't it? I I know people don't like that. They don't mind you. The Calvinists and the Reformers don't mind you preaching on predestination, but they don't want you preaching on God creating evil. It's weird that they don't that they don't agree with the full sovereignty of God. They don't. They agree, but you know what though? They don't even. And you've pointed this out.